welcome to the Palmwood Podcast, part of the teaching ministry of Palmwood Church in Oviedo, Florida, where we love God extravagantly, love people with humility, and mentor others to do the same. Here's Pastor John with an introduction for this week's message. Thanks, David. Hi, folks, and welcome back to the podcast. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. There's a lot in that phrase, and it's important. What does it mean to you that God is our heavenly Father? What do you think of when you consider that God is the Almighty? Do you believe that He is indeed the Creator of everything in heaven and on earth? You know, in our day, there are even people in the church who would challenge each of these ideas. It's really important for us to know both what we believe and why we believe it. And that's the purpose in our current series. Today's message was recorded during the nationwide sequestering we all had to endure because of COVID-19. Knowing that will give some context to some of the comments that I make. But the message is timeless, and I hope it's a blessing to you. chapter 17, verses 22 through 30. This is as Paul is in Athens, and uh, he's talking primarily to an audience that uh, has no knowledge of God, has no knowledge of, of Jesus at all. And what he says here fits right in with our message today where we say we believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around, I looked carefully at your objects of worship and even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you, says Paul. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Our God is the creator. Our God is the Almighty. And Paul begins to explain that to them. So I want us to begin today by thinking about what we said last week. And for those of you that weren't with the the, uh, webcast last week, um, we talked about what the words mean, I believe, when we actually say those words, I believe. And so I just, I want to, I want to anchor us every single week on that, um, where we're coming back to the foundation of the word for belief as we say, I believe in God the Father, as I believe in God the Son, as I believe in, in God the Holy Spirit. We said three things that the, the definition of that word for belief really has three different layers that are all happening simultaneously. 
The first is a belief in. That's, that's mental assent. That's, that's the academic side of belief. The second is to have confidence in. And this is where the belief takes it a step further and recognizes the consistency or the faithfulness of what we're putting our, our faith in. But it's the third level that makes it very, very different, and that is trust in. And this is, if you remember from last week, this is what we called wheelbarrow faith. And, and if you don't know what we mean by wheelbarrow faith, I would encourage you to go back to last week's sermon. There's a story right at the introduction, at the beginning of the message, that explains why we're calling it wheelbarrow faith. But that's what we're talking about here today, is having full trust in that actually says, my whole life is in your hands. I'm giving everything I am to you, and I'm trusting that you are going to, to use me for your glory. So as we say, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe, we're talking about trusting in him, not just a mental assent. Let's remember that as we pray. Father, as we now gather together this morning um, to come to your word in this time of worship, I would pray, Lord Jesus, that you would you take all the anxiety and, and other stumbling blocks. You wash me afresh by the blood of Jesus. You empower me by your Holy Spirit. You enable me to be your vessel this day with no distractions, no stumbling blocks. That there's, there's nothing in me or of me or the environment or the, the world situation that can cause the preaching of your word to stumble or to stop. And that, Holy Spirit, through that, you actually would be our teacher and our guide today. Take this outline made by human hands and a human mind and redeem it and empower it and use it to instruct those whom you so dearly love that we might have wheelbarrow faith. We might trust in you with our very lives today, and throughout the rest of our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you're going to notice as we walk through this series um, that we're, we're rooting into the Apostles' Creed. We're calling the series Knowing What You Believe. You know, one of the reasons we started this is because so many Christians today we espouse a lot of stuff, but when you really press in and you ask people, well, do you really believe that? Sometimes it's, some of that stuff is very hard to believe. And so uh, we really want to take that to the next step, to a little bit deeper so that we're really walking with the Lord in, in these ways. And as you focus on the Apostles' Creed, you're going to see that our outline as we go through this historic creed of the Christian faith really centers on our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you that that's very intentional, not only on my part as I'm putting the sermon series together, but it's intentional in those who actually wrote the Apostles' Creed because the things that they were trying to clarify through the creeds always had to do with the persons of our God, the persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now what I want to tell you, and this is kind of a warning as we start out here in the first real stanza of the creed, there's a risk in what we're doing here, and the risk is that 
when we go through a series like this, we're going to actually come to know more about God, but we may not come to know God more deeply. We may come to know more theology. We may come to know more facts, more information. We may have a more have more academic depth in our understanding about God, but our relationship with God doesn't go deeper. And that's dangerous. That's very dangerous. And we don't want that to happen. We want to come to know him more fully. You know, as I was thinking about this, trying to think of a way to to describe this this week, those of you that that know me well know that I've done over the years, I've done a lot of training events and conferences and, and interventions in churches. I've probably been, I don't know, I've, I, I may have been in 400, 500 churches over my career working with them and, and in large groups and small groups. There's a lot of people all around the United States that know about me. But the reality is there's a very small percentage of that group that really know me that have a relationship with me. You might think in terms of Facebook. I don't don't want to make Facebook sound bad, but um, I think, last time I checked, I think I've got over a 1,000 Facebook friends. Now let me ask you the question. How many of those people really know me? They know about me. They follow me. They may like what I teach. They may like what I post. But how many of those are really friends? And you have the same situation if you're on Facebook as well. There is a difference between knowing about someone and actually having a relationship with that person. And our goal in this study of the Apostles' Creed is not just to increase our head knowledge about God. That would be a colossal mistake. Our goal is, yes, we have to have the academic information. We've got to go deeper with the theology, the doctrine, But the goal is that that doctrine would take us deeper in our walk with our God. And that's my prayer as we move into this series. The first point of our outline today is to talk about God the Father. I believe in God the Father. And you know, Jesus tells us to know and to pray to God as our Father, our loving Heavenly Father. Now, this idea meant something very important to first century Jews, and I would argue probably to many Jews even to this day. It's probably still part of their culture. But the Jewish culture in Jesus' day, in that culture, they saw fathers as both the authoritative leader of the family and also the blessed provider of the family. The authoritative leader and the blessed provider. And so when Jesus, as a rabbi, talks about God as his father, both of those ideas are inherent in that title that he gives him. So when he, when he teaches us how to pray in the Lord's, what we call the Lord's Prayer, he says, this is how you pray. Our Father who are, who is in heaven. His Jewish disciples immediately would have thought, Father, yes, the, the, the one that has the authority over us as his children and the one who provides for us as his children. That immediately would have come into their mind. And it needs to immediately come into our mind as well. While the, the New Testament writers affirm the fatherhood of God, and 
By the way, Paul and especially John write extensively about this in, in their books and their letters. The foundation of our understanding about God as Father really comes from his one and only begotten Son, Jesus. When Jesus speaks about God as Father, he's got a more intimate understanding than any of the writers of the New Testament do at the time that they write. And so today what I want to do, while there's literally oodles of places we could go to talk about the fatherhood of God in the New Testament, I really want to hone in on the teaching of Jesus himself in the Gospels as our foundation. And then we can certainly build on that with all the other statements that are made. The first thing that we learn is that God shows mercy to sinners. Luke 6, verses 27 through 36. And by the way, if you're not a regular person with us at Palmwood Church and you'd like to have these notes, you can go to the Palmwood app or you can go to the Palmwood website, www.palmwoodchurch.com, P-A-L-M-W-O-O-D, church.com. And then there's a tab across the top, resources. When you click on that, one of the options will be sermons. You can go right to today's sermon and download the PDF of these notes if you'd like to have those. The Father shows mercy to sinners. Mercy. Now, those of you that are Palmwood people, you've heard me explain this before, but it's really critical. We can never be reminded about this too often. Mercy, mercy is God not giving us what we actually deserve. God not giving us what we actually deserve. The Bible tells us that because of our sin, you and I actually deserve separation from God. God is holy. He cannot be in the presence of of that which is sinful. And so because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from God. We deserve his wrath, the Bible says, Romans chapter 1. We deserve punishment what the Bible calls eternal damnation. That's hell is what we're talking about there. That's what we deserve. But, but, God does not give us what we deserve. Instead, the first thing he does is he offers us Christ and Christ's sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. We don't deserve it. But he offers that to us so that if we receive that, if we accept that, if we follow Jesus, if we surrender to him as our master and his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary then becomes our sacrifice as well by faith, then we escape all those things that we actually deserve. Friends, that's mercy. And that is driven by the love of our heavenly Father. The second thing we learn is that the Father shows grace to the unrighteous. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 45. Okay, so mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. Grace is God giving us something we don't deserve. You follow? They're kind of two sides of the same coin, and yet they're different. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. Grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. It is God's grace that offers us complete salvation in Jesus Christ. It is God's grace that offers us a fully restored relationship with him. It is God's grace 
that allows us to partner with him in Christ's mission. Imagine that. If all God did was just forgive us of our sins, that would be more than we deserve. But he doesn't just stop there. He invites us to come in and be his instruments to tell other people about this wonderful good news that they can be redeemed in Jesus Christ. We don't deserve any of this, but the Bible tells us that it's lavished on us because of the love of our Heavenly Father. That's grace. The Father forgives sins, Mark 11.25. Please hear me. God is under absolutely no obligation to forgive anybody, ever. He's under no obligation to do that. And yet, he does. It is the love of our Heavenly Father that precipitates that forgiveness, that precipitates the whole sequence of events surrounding Jesus' life that sets you and I free from sin and its penalties. So think of the most famous scripture passage um, in the New Testament. You probably see placards of it at most football games. Um, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. How does that start? For God so loved the world. The whole effort that brings about our redemption, our salvation, is rooted in the love of our Heavenly Father. The Father knows and meets our needs. Here's that that blessed uh, provider side of, of the equation. Matthew 6, verse 8 and 32. And this is going to relate just as much, by the way, to God as creator when we get there as it does to him being father. But it stands to reason that if he made us, then he knows what we need. Friends, he knows what we need better than we do. We think we know what we need. We know what we want. But he actually knows what's best for us. And that's this aspect of him being our father. The father blesses with good gifts, Matthew 7, verses 9 through 12. As a loving father, God does not just give us what we need, but he goes beyond that, and he gives us things that we, we, that bless us that are beyond what we need as well. He desires to bless us, the scripture says, and this has been his heart from the very beginning, and he expects you and I to follow suit. We talked about this a little bit during the, um, uh, the prayer time, or the, um, Offering time today, we talked about Abraham. Back in Genesis chapter 12, when Abram, before his name is changed to Abraham, when Abram meets God for the first time and God says, I'm going to bless you, he, he pronounces this blessing. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, he says, Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And here's the bottom line of all this. And all the peoples, all the various ethnicities of the earth are going to be blessed through you. Abram and his offspring, the Jewish people, have been, I mean, you can see it, tremendously blessed down through their history by God. But it's not so that they would be a blessed people. They are blessed to be a blessing. Paul tells us in the New Testament that we as believers in Jesus Christ are also part of God's family. We're engrafted branches, if you will. And so we also as Christians 
are blessed, not so we would be blessed, but we're blessed to be a blessing. You see, God lavishes his love. God the Father lavishes his love by blessing us beyond our needs so that we in turn can represent him well and bless people around us beyond their needs. You know, in this time of crisis where there's a lot of people out of work and there are uh, people in restaurants, for example, we'll just use that as the example, people in restaurants that are not getting their, their regular hours, not getting their regular tips. If God has blessed you, friend, when you go out and you go through the drive through someplace or you, you pick something up, uh, last night we, we went to a local restaurant and did some pickup, if there's a place for you to give a tip, be extraordinarily generous. Bless them beyond what they need because right now that speaks hugely to people. Make sure that you're, you're uh, supporting those who desperately need it right now as believers in Jesus Christ. God makes this idea of being blessed to be a blessing known from the time of Abraham, and it has been his heart all the way along. And if we are his children, then we need to act like our father. The father gives us his kingdom, which implies salvation. And this might be the most surprising. Jesus tells us that it actually pleases God to give us his kingdom. He tells us not to worry about what we need. The father already knows what we need. We are to seek his kingdom and his righteousness and all that comes with it and he'll give us whatever we need. It pleases God to cover us with his rule and his reign. And there is an inherent nod here to the salvation that comes with it. I believe in God the Father, the Father. It's essential for you and I to come and know God as our heavenly Father so that we can know his heart and the depths of his love and provision for us. But the creed doesn't stop there. Because God is not just loving, he also is all-powerful. This is where we get to the Almighty. I believe in God the Father, Almighty. Both the Old and the New Testament declare the omnipotence of our God. Omnipotence, that's a fancy $10 theological word. Let me define it for you. It means that God is able to do anything and everything within his holy will. And I've listed there in the notes Psalm 115, verse 3, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 18, Revelation 1, verse 8. I'm telling you, it's only three verses of a multitude of verses that talk about our God as being omnipotent, of being all-powerful, of being almighty. He is the almighty God. Our God calls himself the Almighty in Genesis 17, verse 1, Genesis 35, verse 11, Exodus chapter 6, verse 3. When God makes his covenant with Abram, for example, changing his name to Abraham, here's what he says to him. He says to Abraham, who's this, this childless 100-year-old 100 100 man, has no kids. Listen to what he says to him. God says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram here is almost, at this point, he's almost 100 years old. He has no children. He and his wife have had no children. And just a little further along in the story, God takes him outside one starry night and he says, Abram, look up at the stars. So Abram looks up. Count them. I can't count all the stars. So shall your offspring be, God says. Only an almighty God can do such a thing. And that's exactly what God did for Father Abraham. 
If you know the, the Sunday school song, it declares that. Father Abraham had many sons, and he did because God is the almighty God who proved faithful. Nothing is too hard for our almighty God. Genesis 18, verse 14. Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Along with that is the next point. Nothing is impossible for our almighty God. Luke 1, 37. Matthew 19, verse 26. God is fully capable of doing anything that is in accordance with his will. Anything. The gods of the other peoples around Israel were mute. They never spoke. God did. The gods of of the other peoples around Israel were fickle at best and completely useless at worst. The gods of other peoples, they don't answer prayer. The gods of the other peoples, they're made of stone, they're made of wood, they're made of metal. But this God, this God, Abraham's God, our God, the Almighty God, our God speaks. Even today, our God involves himself in people's lives. Our God cares. Our God loves. Our God answers prayer. Our God works miracles. We around this table here have seen them. He is the Almighty God. And the Apostle Paul tells us that our Almighty God can do things beyond our imagination. Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Listen to what Paul... There's so many places where Paul starts, when he starts talking about God, he gets all, you can see it, he gets all excited and he breaks out into a doxology, a song of praise. And this is one of those places where, where Paul's been talking about God and all of a sudden he just bursts forth in praise in Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Our almighty God is both holy and eternal. Revelation 4, verse 8, 11, verses 16 and 17. The Almighty God is holy. That means he is set apart. He is unique. He is different. He is infinitely other, which gives him a very clear perspective on everything because he's outside of all the problems that we face. He's outside of all the sin and evil in this world. He is on the outside looking in. He can see it all and has the perfect perspective of what is the truth. Our Almighty God is just and true in all that he does, Revelation 15.3 and 16.7. People don't always realize this, but God's holiness and his justice go hand in hand. He's not influenced by the evil that he has to judge. He's not moved by it in any way. He's outside of all that has fallen. He's outside of this broken world. He has the perfect perspective. Our God is holy. Our God is eternal. Our God is just. Our God is true in everything, in every way. Our Almighty God is the master of all creation, which brings us to the third and final point today. But first, let's go back. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. He's not just the loving Father. He is also the all-powerful one. It is essential for us to come to know God as Almighty so that we can know and trust his power, his ability, his character, his justice. Our God is also 
the designer and creator of all creation. God is the creator of heaven and earth. Genesis 14, 19. Genesis 14, 22. Acts 14, 15 through 17. Not only does Genesis give us the creation account, but the rest of the Old and New Testaments proclaim him as creator as well. And this is really, really important that we grasp. Many Christians miss this. In fact, Ken Ham, who is the creator or the, the founder of the Creation Science Museum, proclaims that all Christian doctrine, all Christian doctrine rests in a literal interpretation of Genesis, especially the first 11 chapters. Ham writes this, listen. Suppose that we are being questioned concerning doctrines that Christians believe. Think carefully how you would answer in detail. Why do we believe in marriage? Why do we believe in marriage? Why do we promote the wearing of clothes? How come? Why are there rules, right and wrong? Why are we sinners? What does that even mean? Why is there death and suffering in the world? Why must there eventually be a new heaven and a new earth? All of these questions and many more have roots in the first two chapters of Genesis, the creation account, and in God being the creator. It's important that we understand these things. God the creator is to be revered. If you remember back a few months to our series on worship, we defined worship as being three things simultaneously. I'm going to test those who are sitting here in the room. Do you remember what those three things are? How about you at home? Do you remember what those three things were? We said worship defined rightly is three things together. Reverence, a holy and appropriate fear, not terror, but a holy and appropriate fear of God. Adoration, a holy and appropriate love of God. And glory, a holy and appropriate obedience to God. See, reverence is the foundation of that definition. Reverence is worship. We worship God. We revere God. We have a healthy respect for God because he simply spoke and everything came into being. God's creation puts his wisdom, understanding, and knowledge on display. Proverbs 3, verses 19 and 20. God is the designer creator of all creation. It is his idea. He came up with all of it. When we see creation, when we see the, the infinite innovation and understanding of God, it should wow us. It should drive us to our knees in worship. Who else could have thought up the atom? Who else? Who else could produce creation where there is incredible de detail on the subatomic and atomic level and at the very same time, the vast beauty of, of the endless universe that's made up of those very same atoms? Who could have come up with that? Who else but a creator God? All from a spoken word. Creation reveals God's sovereignty. Psalm 24, 1 and 2. 33, 6, and 9. As creator, we see that God is supreme over everything, period. God is the one who made everything. Nothing existed before him, and nothing can exist without him. He sustains it. 
Creation shows us that our God is the greatest and that God is in control. Creation reveals God's glory. Take a look at Psalm 19. If you don't have a Bible handy, you can just listen. David here, King David writes, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Creation declares the glory of our God. Creation reveals God's majesty. As creator, God sustains everything. And this leads us to the main thrust of this point. When we say, I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, it is essential for us to come to know God as creator so that we can worship him rightly so that we can know his wisdom, so that we can know his knowledge, so that we can know his understanding, so that we can know his loving control, so that we can know his glory, so we can know his majesty, and we can understand that he sustains things forever, which drives us before him to our faces in worship and reverence. Our God is our loving heavenly Father. Our God is able to do anything because he is the Almighty. Our God holds everything together in glory and majesty because he is the creator. Believing these things is really important, friends. There's so much, so much I haven't even touched on. We have barely scratched the surface of any of those three points today. In fact, I was earlier this week, I was moaning uh, to my admin, Gail, uh, that I was having trouble just paring everything down for this message. And uh, she responded back to me. She said, it's kind of hard to limit God, isn't it? And that really is the truth. It's very hard to limit God. You could go on these points many different directions that we didn't even touch yet today from the scriptures. But we've got all eternity to get to know him better and fall more deeply in love with him. For now, will you simply agree with me that these three points, that he's our father, that he's almighty, and that he's the creator, are absolutely critical for us to believe with wheelbarrow faith. Not just in our head, but to base our very lives upon it. We believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker, creator of heaven and earth. Let's pray. Father, my prayer today for all of us is just very simple. Draw us deeper. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for the Palmwood Podcast. If you'd like more information about Palmwood Church and its ministry, see our website at palmwoodchurch.com. Have a blessed day.